This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today we are joined by old friend Travis Wingfield of Locked On Dolphins to talk about one of the weirder games that both of our teams have played in a long time and to talk about all of the chaos that has ensued on Adam Gase's team. Where have we seen this movie before? Uh, we're going to jump into our interview in a moment here, go for our normal you know, 20, 25 minutes or so as a quick reminder before we jump in. Podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Please subscribe, please rate, please review. Also, if you are still keeping the faith and going out to Jets vs. Raiders in a few weeks, our friends from Game Day Tailgate Experience are going to be hosting a pregame tailgate. All you can eat, cash bar, games, giveaways, appearances from former players. We will share all the information and direct links out on where to get your tickets on our Twitter and on our website. But that's Game Day Tailgate Experience for Jets Raiders. Check out our Twitter, Facebook TurnOnTheJets.com for more info. Travis, how are you doing? What 0-8 right now. How are you feeling right now with how the tank's going? Hey, sir, you don't give us that extra loss. It's actually 0-7, I'll have you know. 0-7, 0-7, <laughs> uh, who, who, who gives a damn? Yeah, it's that's pretty much where we are. You know, you and I were talking off-air before the podcast about how Dolphins fans are rooting for the Jets, and some Jets fans, I'm sure, rooting for the Dolphins to try to help get Adam Gaze out the door. It's just such a weird, a weird dynamic in terms of, you know, my biggest personal rival in the Jets and rooting for Adam Gaze to come to Miami and beat this Dolphins team. So it feels super weird, but there's only nine more of these games left. So let's just go ahead and get him out of the way. It is incredibly weird. Now, I have basically been broken down over the past three and a half years to get used to this. The Jets, outside of Cleveland from a record standpoint, have been the worst team in the NFL since week one of the 2016 season. I think they're 10 and 29 or something like that. Fun. Um, so you're regularly <laughs> kind of in this position by late October, early November, where you're kind of starting to root for losses. And this is... I got to be honest, like this is as open as I've been in terms of wanting to see the Jets to actually lose the game. And I caveat that by saying I want to see Sam Darnold play really well and see them lose the game. And he did that a couple times last year when they lost to Houston and lost to Green Bay. And my case is pretty simple. In 2020, I do not want Tua to be the Dolphins quarterback and Adam Gates <laughs> to be the Jets coach. And I think the only way those two things don't happen is if the Jets find a way to lose to Miami. Because the Jets' next six games, Miami twice, Washington, Cincinnati, Giants, Raiders, an inconceivably soft six-game stretch. They're probably going to win some games in there, and I'm kind of terrified they're going to win enough and generate some false hope to bring Adam Gase back. And I don't think the Jets are going to win ever win anything of consequence with Adam Gase, particularly coming out of the chaos of this trade deadline week and how they got whooped by Jacksonville. You, Dolphins fan... I'm sure you loved Adam Gase in year one. When did it kind of like turn for you? And what is your opinion watching all this chaos and Sue now in a division rival? Yeah, that's a great way to set it up right there because he did actually start off very well in 2016 with the playoff appearance. And he took a really 
really injury-ridden roster, which is kind of an Adam Gay specialty at this point. You guys know it now. The Dolphins, for three years when he was in Miami, were constantly just full of guys in the training room. And he took a banged-up, like, street-free agent-level defense and, and his offensive system with Jay Ajayi into the postseason. And we were just over the moon with what he did with that particular roster. It was coming off a bad 6-10 and 10 season. But then Ryan Tannehill goes down. He forces the issue with Jay Cutler, makes the exact same mistakes he made with the Jets in terms of Tripping down his offensive line, turning it into an absolute mash unit with guys that can't stay healthy and guys that aren't that good to begin with, empowering guys on the defensive side of the ball who didn't belong in those positions at that point of their careers, and just kind of had a disconnect throughout the entire roster where the relationships that he had with certain guys deteriorated over time. And that's why this Jets situation is so interesting to me in terms of how fast it's gone off the rails for y'all because... He was a slow burn in Miami with things getting bad. We saw it with Jay Ajayi going away, obviously, after the trade deadline 2017. Jarvis Landry gets traded for peanuts on the dollar with the fourth-round draft pick. And then you have all these guys that come out after the fact and say that they really can't stand the guy. And it feels like that process was accelerated times like times 10 with the Jets. So, And, and you, we had the deal with the trade deadline, like you mentioned, you know, Robbie Anderson, Jamal Adams, all those guys. It just blows my mind that that somebody sat down with that guy in a room and decided he was the best guy to to kind of lead this you know this was supposed to be the year the Jets turned things around and got back on the winning ways and I think maybe they got blinded by the idea that he is this quarterback whisperer but you go back the last five years since he's been removed from Peyton Manning he's never had a top 16 offense since Peyton Manning so why is he this quarterback whisperer I think that alone has really taken him to this point in his career and now we're starting to see what he really is just kind of a a glorified quarterback coach. Thank you, Peyton Manning, for the recommendation and for continuing to <laughs> screw over the Jets two decades and running since he decided not to go back uh, to go back to college and not come out in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, look, I, like many, did not like the hire, was trying to be open-minded about it, saw some interesting things in the preseason, could kind of see how he could BS his way into this role with how he comes across in some interviews, not in press conferences, but in some interviews, but... Their offense has literally been inconceivably bad, and I've seen some bad offenses the past few years, and this is as bad as it gets with more talent, and Sam Darnold certainly is not progressing in any way that uh, is encouraging outside of you know the Dallas game, which shows his raw talent and shows that there's something there, but the mechanics are, are getting sloppy, and the team, I, do you think there's something to, and I, I have no evidence, evidence of this, so I don't want to act like it's anything substantiated, but... Is there something to every time this guy coaches a team that everybody's hurt and everybody's always out a little longer than it seems like they should be? Because the Jets were known for having a really good medical staff, and now all of a sudden, C.J. Mosley has a groin injury. It goes from a one-week injury to basically a season-ending injury. Chris Herndon's randomly out for an extra three or four weeks. Like, Is there something going on here? And, and the way that he sets it up, too, in his press conferences where he says, oh, you know, he caught a, a toe and he, he's going to miss a game or something. And then you turn around, and he's out for the entire season because you go back to 2017, the Dolphins, within the first couple of weeks of training camp, like they lost their quarterback, their starting left guard, a starting cornerback, a linebacker, like everybody was going down that season. And then 2018, the fan base made jokes about how he survived training camp. And then once the first game got there, Josh Sitton, the exact same thing happened. He was like, well, Sitton came out the end of the game and 
and now he's on IR. Like it just happened all of a sudden, like you mentioned. And 2018, the, the list of injuries was ridiculous for the Dolphins at all levels of both sides of the football. So there is something there. I don't know like what that possibly could be because now the Dolphins, even though they're a horrible roster, are very healthy. So I don't it, like I don't know what it is, but there definitely is something to it. Terrific, just terrific. So. <laughs> From what I saw, and I've not seen a ton of Dolphins action this year, but I did watch, you know, the full Steelers game last week, and I've caught bits and pieces of others. And just from, you know, following you on, on Twitter, the vibe I get from Miami is, look, they're they're trying very openly to lose football games and load up on picks and then re- start the formal rebuild next year. I think it makes sense considering the situation that Gase left them in. Seemed to be, it's early, seemed to be, a reasonably well-coached team, at least compared to what I'm seeing every single week. And with Fitzpatrick under center, another guy we're, of course, familiar with, can be competitive on offense. I saw this line at four and a half, and I guess that kind of makes sense. I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i kind of curious if it even gets closer to three around kickoff. I, I mean, when you watch that Pittsburgh game, and it was 14-3, to three, and they sort of had that bizarre broken coverage before the half, and everyone's saying they kind of allowed them to have a walk-in touchdown. Like, did you think they were going to beat Pittsburgh, and did you see anything in the second half that you're like, oh, they're, they're really trying to throw this? And what did you think about, like, the two-point conversion against Washington and any other situations like that that came up? It's a good timing on this question, Joe, because I just did a segment on my podcast on Wednesday talking about how they've kind of created this clever little plan to get themselves – out of the the idea that this is a tanking team, because you turn on any sports center or any you know any sports highlight show, you're going to see them saying like, "Bless the Dolphins' heart, they're playing hard for Brian Flores." Yada yada yada. But then you turn on the tape, and there's so many examples of blown coverages or blown plays, or just examples where they they're not executing because the talent is really poor. And also, you mentioned that play. I just watched the tape from the Pittsburgh game. There was two third down and 20s prior to that third down and 20, and both times Miami lined up in a soft zone with a shell right around the sticks, and they rallied up and tackled. And then Brian Flores calls this timeout, and they come up with that call, like the zero blitz where you have one guy who thinks he's playing zone coverage, two guys think they're in man coverage, and it leads to the easiest 45-yard touchdown in the history of the NFL. And the two-point conversion play just seemed awfully I don't I don't want to put a you know a label on it as far as like the tank but man that was a curious call as well and I just think that there's so many instances where this team is is just playing horrible football but people are getting attached right now to the you know five or six good plays a game and giving the Dolphins credit for that and they should I suppose and Fitzpatrick's played better but Really, at the core of this thing, this team is is so beyond bad. Like, you look at the ESPN Football Power Index for the first pick in the draft, the odds, they're still, like, at 75% to obtain that pick. The Bengals are, like, 15%, despite the fact that the Bengals are 0-8 and, and we're 0-7. And so I think that the, the, the Vegas odds and the Vegas angle of this stuff, they understand how bad this football team actually is. And is there some intent behind it to achieve that? I personally think there is. Other folks would get really mad at me for saying that. But I think there is, and I think they're doing a good job executing it, but keeping it kind of under wraps right now. I mean, that's what's, like, so weird about this game. Like, I – if the Jets win, which I think is pretty reasonable, expect them to win a close game is probably where I'm leaning right now. I – why are we getting excited about the Jets winning that game? You're playing a team who is openly trying to lose, and if the game gets tight, might do something a little wonky to make sure you win. So I don't want to see – uh a celebration line at a party if they beat the Dolphins 20 to 17 and like getting excited about it. In my mind, like if they beat Miami twice this year, those two wins don't count towards evaluating what happens this year. 
different story if you beat the Giants for a multitude of reasons. Different story even if you beat Washington, who I think is trying to compete still. Cincinnati, I think, is just a traditionally terrible team. Uh, but my, like, my God, like if the Jets have five wins this year, you beat Miami twice, Cincinnati, Washington, and you have that one win against Dallas. Those five wins mean nothing to me except that you're going to have a worse pick in the draft. You're not showing anything by winning those games. All that aside, who on your roster right now are you particularly excited about in terms of maybe being part of whatever the long-term foundation ends up being? Well, the one guy that really is a part of that, they just put on injured reserve to kind of counteract the Bengals' move to go with Ryan Finley over Andy Dalton. So we're playing chess over here in the tank matchup. But he was fantastic on Monday night. And even they had to bring him out of that game because he was doing too much to win that game for them. So he remains, you know, the guy, but he's on IR now. On the offensive side, I'll give you a name off the beaten path. Undrafted rookie free agent receiver Preston Williams. And off the tape in that Pittsburgh game, there are three plays against Joe Hayden where he, you know, Joe Hayden, one of the the more experienced experienced good cornerbacks in this league and Preston Williams punks him with route running which he's a six foot four you know a smooth glider type of guy but his route running is really good he's getting himself open he has a big drops and fumbles issue like he has one of those every single game but a UDFA on pace for nearly a thousand yards his rookie season he's played really well and he really fits the structure of this offense in terms of setting up his inside releases and getting and getting free on in breaking routes off the play action looks the Dolphins love to use so he's done a good job on offense I'll give you another name on defense since you you asked uh, you know or since I gave you a guy that's not playing anymore. But I think that right now they picked him up around around when the you know the cutdown day was John Jenkins is a big, massive defensive tackle, and he kicked Marquise's pouncey's butt on Monday night. He's playing really well right now. He could be a guy that kind of fits into a Danny Shelton type role going forward, which if that's the best name I can give you for the Dolphins defense, we're probably in some trouble. But keep an eye on him. He's playing really well. I think he'll get into the Jets' backfield a few times on Sunday. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, if you are one of the brave souls who are going to go out to Jets-Dolphins this Sunday or are going to go to Jets-Giants the week after, always an interesting game for a very variety of reasons, make sure that you have your seat for the game with Vivid Seats. <clears throat> Vivid Seats is the top source of tickets for the events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back the Vivid Seats Rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. When it is time to buy, make sure to use promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 on your purchase. Check it out, Vivid Seats, Vivid Seats Loyalty Program. All right, Travis, so looking at what you guys are assessing in college football right now, which whereas I, I see and imagine you're spending a lot of your time, is it a no-brainer to you who the first pick in the draft is if you guys have the first overall pick, which is highly likely to happen? 
Yeah, it really is. And I, I know a lot of folks are getting on the Joe Burrow train the last couple of weeks, but I just I go back to the kid that came into his first ever career game and let a two touchdown comeback in the national championship as a 19 year old true freshman. And of course, that's Tua Tungavailoa, who also happens to be a, a just absolute ideal scheme fit for what Chad O'Shea and this Patriots style of quick hitting, you know, rhythm type of tempo offense they want to be. He the way he sets up his accuracy or the way he sets up the defense to hit him with his accuracy in those soft spots of the zone. If you want to play zone coverage against Tua in college, it's basically the same thing as playing zone against Brady because he knows where you're going to move and he knows how to put the ball in the exact right spot at the right time on time and on target at all times for Tua. So he's been the, the apple of my eye this entire time. In my opinion, he's the only slam dunk franchise quarterback in this draft. I think you have amazing traits and upside with guys like Jordan Love and obviously Justin Herbert, who I don't buy just because he kind of has been the same guy his entire college career who lacks the big instincts and that killer mentality that you know the best quarterbacks do have. Jordan Love's playing horrible on a bad Utah State team, but he's a developmental guy for me. And then Joe Burrow, like I want to know I haven't studied his old tape from 2018, but I want to know why that jump happened exactly. I know he's in a much better offensive system this year, but does that just tell us that he's a system quarterback taking advantage of really good receiver play, a good running back there at LSU, as well as a very smart offensive mind in Joe Brady? So to me, it's Tua, then a big, big gap, and then everybody else. How has the fan base been handling and reacting to games this year i mean what what are the differences what is what is your twitter feed like compared to a normal season how for you as someone who's used to and you know i was used to this too back when i was a younger happier fan used to rooting for your team to win every week talking trash to other fan bases when you win and overhyping you know your own guys a little bit how has that adjustment been for you in this fan base overall uh, I think for me personally, I'm 32 years old, Joe. I turned 32 this week, and so I basically know nothing besides mediocrity. Not like the bottom-out seasons like the Jets have had the last couple of years, but just plain six, seven-win seasons that get you nowhere but a little bit of excitement around Thanksgiving time, and then things all fall apart in December. So for me, it was easy because I can sacrifice one year of my football fandom, which I've actually had more fun this year watching the college games and having that Steelers first round pick and that Texans first round pick and rooting against the Bengals and Washington and all these teams competing for the first pick in the draft. I've had a good time doing it because I don't have any stress watching my Dolphins try to slug out a 17 to 16 win on Sunday against a four and eight Buffalo Bills team. You know what I mean? So for me, it's been easy, but you also have like 15% of the fan base. I feel like it's 85-15 every time I see a poll in terms of tank or try to win the game. And so the 15% of the fan base will tell you you're not a real fan. You're a disgrace to the game. The Dolphins are deplorable. All that fun stuff we've heard. But it's, I mean, you got to do something different. And you can't just keep on going back and signing guys like Lawrence Timmons or Joey Porter or any other ex-stealer you bring down here to try to, to try to really resurrect your defense like we did for the last 10 years. I just I was ready for a change. They've done it in full force. And the fact that they committed to it so hard is what gives me the most promise because they have a plan and they're really seeing to it. So will it work? Who who has any idea? I don't know. But I'm just glad they're doing something different for a change. Yeah, look, I, I think if you're going for it, like fully go for it. And the Jets kind of almost got all the way there. And, you know, they were basically one or two wins away each year in my mind, from probably getting to where they need to. If they don't beat Buffalo last year, they probably have the first pick and get Bosin. It's just such a huge difference, ultimately, so far, at least. And then even, you know, in 2017, 
you know, they ended up winning, I think, two or three more games than most people thought they would. I, you know, I thought at the beginning of the year Miami would find their way. I think we talked about this over the summer, would find their way to like four wins or so. But after that, you know, they made a couple more transactions and they had Howard, you know, not playing. And, you know, they don't beat the Jets this week, which I would say, I don't know. I, I mean, when I when you see them doing certain things that are kind of like openly against them trying to win, it, it makes it hard for me to pick the Dolphins to win. I just I feel like this is going to be a close game, an ugly game, but the Jets will probably find a way to win late. I mean, how do you see this game playing out? I mean, you know Adam Gase and how he runs the team, you know, better than anybody. I mean, how do you see this playing out on Sunday? Yeah, I'm with you in terms of the close game just because I don't think either of these teams or offenses are good enough to separate from the other one, but I do think the Jets win relatively easily at the end just because of some of the mismatch opportunities they will have because one of the reasons I was watching the trade deadline was to make sure the Jets didn't trade Robbie Anderson because I think that he's going to have one of those big plays against this Dolphins defense who really do not have a true safety on their roster. Rashad Jones is out. Bobby McCain got transitioned there this season, but he's more of a nickel cornerback and they are playing like four cornerbacks the majority of the snaps with one safety on the field. So if Robbie can just win one one-on-one matchup, I think Sam could probably hit him for a big touchdown play like in that Dallas game. And you mentioned Sam having a rough couple of days, a couple of weeks uh, going back to coming back from the, you know, the Cowboys game after the, the mono incident. Um, I think that with the way this Dolphins team can't really get any pressure on the quarterback because we know the Jets offensive line is probably the biggest Achilles heel of that team. I think that Darnold's going to have more time to really kind of process what he sees. And that's when he's really good when he knows what he sees and he can kind of move the defense with his eyes and his body position without having to worry about trash down around his feet. And so I think that he'll find some comfortability and build momentum in this game. Plus, Nobody holds a grudge like Adam Gaze. I've heard that from so many people, and I think that he's going to come out and coach his best game of the year like he did against the Patriots every time the Dolphins you know, had that one win a year against the Patriots, like we put all of our eggs into the Patriots basket. I think he'll do that. I think Donald plays well, and I think the defense will do just enough to get Ryan Fitzpatrick to turn the ball over a couple times, or they'll do it on purpose like they did last week against the Steelers. So I think the Jets win this game. It's going to be close, like you mentioned, but I, I just don't, like you said, I can't, I can't picture Miami doing something to win the game, if that makes sense. What, a, what weird times we are in. But I, I, think, <laughs> I think you got to be kind of confident about them winning on, uh, on Sunday now. And, yeah, I mean, look, I, they still have Robbie. They still have Bell. Gase has been kind of horrific in how he's used them, particularly Bell, throughout the year. But, obviously, guys who, if they get the ball in their hands and they get in, open, in the open field, they can make some plays down the field. Now, before we wrap here, we're halfway through the year. Dolphins are on seven. Our Jets are one and six. Bills and Pat fans are having the time of their lives, pushing for the playoffs. NBA has started. College football is in the home stretch. World Series is wrapping up. If you have not gotten in on the action, now is the time. Check out the latest from our friends at mybookie.ag. NFL lines, NBA lines, NHL lines, every sport they have covered, all at mybookie.ag. They have you can bet on the quarters, you can bet on the halves, you can bet period to period in the NHL, player props, points, yards, goals, PGA, NASCAR, soccer, anything you could think of, you can gamble on these days. Now is the best time to get in on the action. Sign up at mybookie.ag and use promo code Overtime, and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code Overtime, and new users get their first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Looking at our other two friends in the AFC East, 
What are your, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Buffalo and New England this year, and where do you see their seasons ultimately turning, ending up? I, I just hoping that whatever happens in New England's enough to get one of the two big guys out of the you know future of that team because I think that this could be the year that Brady kind of goes all in and maybe they run the table maybe they run the gamut and go undefeated and that's enough to get him out of New England which as a Dolphins fan I'm supposed to be you know sacrilege about talking about undefeated seasons but frankly Joe I don't give a damn about the 70s in football so I want to see whatever is beneficial for the Dolphins in the future so I think the Patriots with that strong defense like. They could probably have Ryan Tannehill playing quarterback for that team right now, and they're still 8-0. And that's so scary to me as far as when Brady retires, if Belichick's still there. So just you know, business as usual in New England. But Buffalo's the more interesting one because they do have a very good defense and a defensive-minded coach who's getting the most out of those guys. But you wonder how high the ceiling is on Josh Allen. I do think there's ways to win with Josh Allen in terms of how he can create with his legs and basically be a design running back at times in that offense. And, of course, he can make big plays off script with the big arm. But how is his accuracy? Is it ever going to improve? Is he ever going to be the guy that can really, you know, game on the line, make the big-time third down and 12 throw? I don't believe he's that guy. And this season, I think they're still probably one offseason away from getting the right parts around him to really take advantage of his skill set. And then it's just it relies on the quarterback and that's why the Dolphins are so in on this Tua idea if you don't have the quarterback like we see in Chicago right now for instance you're you're spinning your wheels and so if Josh Allen doesn't get better it's never going to get better for them but they play good defense and they'll be in every game because of that so obviously a big gap between us two and those two but I think that the Bills are maybe a little bit more of a of a paper tiger right now than an actual good team would you ever give and is there any talk of this among Dolphins fans to not take two of this year and instead wait for Trevor Lawrence next year and concentrate those picks on another position. And has there been any chatter of that among Dolphins fans? Yeah, there's guys that talk about it, but I think it's a pipe dream when you consider the fact that Stephen Ross for, you know, the 10 years he's owned this team, he was not a patient guy. He's very, he's very much a guy that wants to win right away. And this year has got to be hard on him, even though he has a great plan in place to, or, you know, a, ideally a great plan in place to make this thing fixed in the future but I don't think there's going to be any patience next year they're going to go ham and free agency they're going to spend all those draft picks on premium players and try to get this thing turned around in one offseason and it starts with the quarterback position I think that Tua is probably the selling point to free agents in the offseason like if you have the first pick you can say hey look we got this you know Heisman runner-up national champion guy that is one of the you know, better quarterback prospects to come out in some time. He's kind of your selling point to get the franchise back on the right track and attract the right free agents. So I think to expect the Dolphins to be this bad again next year is wishful thinking, even though Trevor Lawrence might be the better prospect. You got a good one staring you at the face. If you get that first pick, just turn the card in and, and, and be good with it. How worried are you about that Cincinnati game at the end of the year? They bench Andy Dalton. <laughs> They're not bringing A.J. Green back. Zach Taylor looks completely in over his head. I'm sure they're going to keep shutting people down. Do you think that ultimately – how worried are you on a scale of 1 to 10 about that being the game that blows the tank? I think like a 5 only because the things you mentioned with Zach Taylor. Like the Dolphins could outcoach them easily if they wanted to because Zach Taylor was in Miami a few years ago. I know I know what Zach Taylor is. I don't, I don't know how he got that job. I guess that's what the Bengals do. They hire you know unsuspecting people. But getting A.J. Green back is big because the reason Miami lost to Washington was because Xavier Howard didn't play and nobody could cover Terry McLaurin. And if Green's back, there's not going to be anybody in the secondary that can cover A.J. Green. So I think that they'll still find a way to lose that game plus – 
the thing that you and I mentioned in terms of them just doing these little things at the end of games to kind of ensure they they find a way to lose. And so I think there's to me there's a lot of faith that this will get executed and they will run the table. Maybe win one game if they have the you know the 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 space to do so if the Bengals find a way to win a game before that one and they do have the strength of schedule like advantage like they have a lower strength of schedule than Cincinnati so if they tie the Dolphins will still get the first pick and so with that in mind I think they'll be okay even if they win one game I know it's not necessarily your team curious for your thoughts on this before we wrap I like many Jet fans at this point, are very much hoping that the Jets move on from Adam Gase, regardless of what happens over these final nine games. I think maybe the only thing that changes most people's minds is if they get a couple unsuspecting wins, which is really hard with their remaining schedule. So they have a game at Baltimore, they have a game at Buffalo. They'll be big underdogs in both those games, the Baltimore games in prime time. Maybe you go out and you surprise everyone and win that game. Maybe you knock Buffalo out of the playoffs. That kind of changes perception you know the other games we mentioned I don't really move the needle much Gase again seems to have this sort of weird built-in infrastructure of support from certain media members and other people who you know really talked up the hire in the offseason that I'm sure will be making a push to keep him around for year two uh let's say the Jets finish five and eleven uh do you think that he is likely to be back in 2020. And if the Jets did fire him, do you think he would, what what would his future of coaching be anywhere else? I would like to think that part of the plan for Joe Douglas was to give him the opportunity to make, you know, a one year out for Adam Gase and hire his own guy. I've long been a proponent of, you know, align your GM and head coach that way. And I think that would be the the smart play if the Jets only win five games in a year, like you mentioned, where they did spend big free agent money and tried to get this thing turned around in one year. So I think that he will have the authority, at least that's my perception, maybe I'm wrong, that Joe Douglas could make that decision. And I don't think he was ever an Adam Gase guy or that, that Adam Gase was a Joe Douglas guy, so I think that maybe he'll go out and get his own guy. But as far as Adam Gase's future in the league, I mean, you, you're, he's never going to be a head coach again, right? Like, he has to go back to being a coordinator at best, which really he was only that for one year in Chicago before he actually you know, got the head coaching job in Miami. And you go back to his quarterback success in, in, New England, or in uh, Denver, rather, that was mostly as a quarterback coach. So I think that that's, that's probably where he has to go first, just run one room, be a quarterback guy, and only focus on that. And then maybe he can build some momentum to an offensive coordinator down the road. But I think he has to take a big step back, maybe even take a year off, because we've seen how much this job kind of does on that, like the job that this job does on that guy in terms of the way he, he carries himself. So maybe take a year off and then come back as a quarterback's coach. But it's I don't think he's ever going to be a head coach again. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's still very much up in the air whether they ultimately bring him back or not. Again, I... I'm sorry, I'm not giving the team any credit for beating Miami or Washington this year. Not really either for Cincinnati either. I'll see how they do against the Giants, Raiders, the Steelers, who are still going to compete, the Ravens and Bills, but the rest of these games are, I don't know what they are, they're weird. It's a weird year. Travis Wingfield, thank you for joining us. Locked on Dolphins. Enjoy watching all your college football this year. I am rooting for the Dolphins this weekend. I am rooting for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I generally don't like watching play football. It feels weird, but I'll be wearing my O.J. McDuffie jersey that I don't have to the bar and seeing how it plays out. (laughs) Sounds good, Joe. I appreciate it, man. I'll I'll be in the press box for this game, so, uh, you know, have a little mercy on my soul for that. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens on Sunday. All right. Absolutely. Uh, We'll talk soon.